You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations and career developments. Hello everyone! Thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of You Play A What. On this episode, I have not one, not two, but three guests on the show. They are my good friends and colleagues from Co. In this episode, we spoke about the times that we spent overseas, the concept of taking a gap year, and that living overseas might not be all fun and games. We also spoke about how, why, and what we do at Co. and a few more things about our work outside of the ensemble. There's so much more left to talk about, but so little time left. I look forward to having them back on the show individually, if they are not really too traumatized by the experience. And now, please enjoy You Play A What with Cole. Today on You Play A What, it is with great pleasure that I am joined by my good friends and colleagues from Co, a mixed instrumental ensemble that came together around mid-2019. All of them are quality musicians in their own right. I have such an amazing time working with these guys, both on the playing front as well as the process of conceptualizing our shows, and above all else, they're just fun to hang out with. Um, but, well, I mean, I can say this for me, but I don't know if they share the same feelings or not. If they don't share the same feelings by now, uh, it will be a little bit too awkward to disagree with me anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. So, how do you all feel when we hang out? You guys enjoy yourselves? Yes, of course. If not, I don't think we'll be doing this. <laughs> uh, if you don't already know the personnel that are involved in this ensemble, uh, let me just introduce my guest. Starting from the most senior. How are you doing today, Michelina? <laughs> <laughs> I was pointing at Daniel when you said that. <laughs> I'm very well. <laughs> and just so everybody knows, Michelina, or for, for this episode, we'll just call you Mish. She's not actually the oldest in the group. Uh, it's just a um, decision made by three males that is older than her, thinking that uh, she is older than us, oh, in short. The thorn amongst the roses. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and I think the next time you see us live, go up to Mish and just say this to her. Wow, for a forty-year-old, you look really good. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that that would like absolutely make her day, right? <laughs> yeah, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, wow. So, so, yeah, I mean, uh, th- this will be like a, a sign, right? So if, if anybody listens, actually listens to this podcast and somebody comes up to you and, and tells you, uh, I'll ask you that question, please let me know. Oh, I look forward to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, on, on a slightly more serious note, 
So how are you doing today? Good. Good, not bad. Yeah. And also in, in the spirit of the show, uh, I have to ask you, uh, what do you play? I play the saxophones, but I found that sometimes the saxophones play me. Ah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we all have one of those days, right? Yeah. Where the instrument wins. Good. Uh, so next, Daniel, how's your day? Yes. Hi, Vincent. Yeah. I'm good. Good. And what about you? I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, staying at home every day now. Uh, so, I I mean, um, I don't know when this is going to come out, but at the point of recording, we are still like in the midst of the, um, circuit breaker, right? So, yeah, a lot of uh staying at home, um, doing not very much. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, anything? Any events that disrupted your uh, peace today? Mm, not much. It's the same old, just watching a lot of Netflix at the moment. So uh, n- nothing too too exciting on your yeah, Instagram story or, or whatnot? Not much. Okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, so same question to you. What do you play? I play auxiliary clarinets. And this is very specific, right? So yes. yeah, you try uh, to play anything other than the, the B-flat clarinet. Yeah, yeah. I try as much as possible just to bring more awareness to the less commonly played, at least in Singapore, the auxiliary clarinets. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, primarily E flat and bass clarinet. Good stuff. Uh, and then of course, last but not least, my top twenty seventh most favorite trombonist, Don. <laughs> How are you doing today, bro? Hi, I'm doing fine. And you? Yeah. I'm okay. I'm okay. Um. So, uh, are you glad that you made top thirty in my list? Um. Yeah. I mean, because there's just so many trombone players compared to euphonium players in the world, right? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Of course. Uh, let Let it begin. Uh. So, uh, I might have already given it away, but uh, what do you play? Yeah. I mean, I play the the trombone, which is the better, the cooler counterpart of the euphonium. Uh. The 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 more employable one. You mean. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. That goes without okay. saying. <laughs> Good. Uh, so nice to hear all of you doing really well. Um, and thank you so much uh, for coming on to the show. Uh, before before I get down to what we want to talk about uh, in this episode, I want to just take a little bit of time to just share with everybody um, what I remembered as uh, uh, my first encounter with the, each of you. Okay. So I think um, I'll start with Don, just because I've known him for the longest. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, I think the first time we met was at NAFA. It's probably your first lesson with Freddie, uh, who was, of course, then also my teacher when uh, and I'm a student at NAFA at that point of time. Uh, yes, yes. I mean, I, I, don't re- I don't think it was my first lesson, but I, I, I mean, at least from what I could remember, um, it was like I think the second or third lesson. I think it was rather late, I think. <laughs> For the lesson, yeah. actually. And then okay. I remember uh, entering the room and I think you were just chatting with Freddy and I was apologizing for being late, but I think like you guys were enjoying yourselves. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah. So probably talking about things that are completely unrelated to the euphonium. That's why we're having such a good time. So that must be like what? More than 10 years ago now, right? Yes, actually. I think probably 11 Wow, I mean, time flies, huh? And I still remember at that point of time when you first had your lesson, you you were still studying at SP, right? You weren't even like into 
the whole kind of like music education yet. Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't I I wasn't intending to do trombone like our music as a career. Mm. I mean, I had no idea what I was what I wanted to do, but yeah. Cool, and and then of course, uh, the classic encounters with the the security guard at Nafa. Have you had any of those? To be honest, I I can't remember. I had initially, but I was always with uh someone, uh yeah, yeah but I think uh, eventually I kind of learned, and I always kind of whenever I was at Nafa, I always kind of sneaked about. I always went through the basement car park and to uh, believe, yeah. yeah, 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 that that's the way to go. I had a tuba quartet in the past and we got into a little bit of trouble. He basically asked for a student card and then turns out the faces don't match. Uh, next, Daniel. So uh, I believe our professional relationship started in around 2017 uh, where you conducted a concert that was playing in. And I think this was Who Wants to Live Forever with uh, the Orchestra ah, Collective. Yeah. right? So that was the, the initial like proper encounter but then I, I wouldn't say that we were like friends even yeah. after the concert, right? So <laughs> things just kind of grew around 2018 when I went to play in your final recital in Amsterdam. Yeah. When, when you're studying there. And yes. Yeah. So that recital, uh, what do you perform? Is the Mashima, is it? Three Impressions yes, of Japan. Mashima. Um, two premieres yeah so uh, one of which uh, I wasn't involved in and then yeah. one of which was by a Dutch composer that was also studying in the conservatory yes my schoolmate yeah and then of course um, Daphne and Chloe yeah yes so uh, interesting program and that was also my my first and only time uh, going to the Netherlands I must say one thing apart from the music making, I ate so well in the Netherlands. Yeah. And I think uh, <laughs> not only at your home, which uh, you are extremely generous with your uh, cooking and feeding us all the time. Also the spots that uh, you brought uh, some of us to. I remember, um, I think it's one of the weekend markets where we had this herring. Yes. Yeah. I, I was kind of worried yeah. in the beginning about the herring. Uh, yeah, so I, I just thought, I I mean, I'm okay with strong flavors, but I'm just afraid like the the smell will linger. Yeah, but the then turns out yeah. zero, right? Absolutely no fishiness at all. Yeah, so good. It's the Dutch sashimi. Yeah, I, I must also say that like, you know, uh, I also do a lot of cooking when I was uh, living overseas. But what uh, you mm. do is you do a lot of the Singaporean stuff, right? that everybody misses when they are yeah. uh, away from uh, home. And I remember um, also at 2018 in January, that was when I first started my uh, intermittent fasting routine. Right? So I started on the 2nd of January. And then it was like after a month near Chinese New Year that I went to rehearse for your recital. Yeah. And that was like the first yeah. time right? I was like eating bucket loads of like greens for my first meal for a, a period yeah. of time. Then all of a sudden, like at 10 o'clock, you serve up like nasi lemak, right? And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry I broke your diet. <laughs> I, I, to be honest, I was just afraid that I couldn't go back to it. But then it turns out to be okay. So that's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, so then, of course, friendship carry on. Uh, after that, uh, now we are playing in ensemble together. So, oh, it's good. Yeah. Uh, but of course, uh, that being said, it doesn't mean that I haven't heard about you 
you know, uh, <laughs> uh, b- before 2017. My reputation precedes o- Of me. course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it just so happened as well, like for the longest time, uh, you've been playing in like the Philharmonic Winds. But just so yes. happened that when I joined was kind of like the period that you stopped playing as well, regularly. Mm. So yeah, we just, our paths just kind of never really cross, yeah. right? Yeah, until say like 2017. Mish, uh, can you remember when we first met? No, <laughs> but I've heard this story from you a couple of times. So um, basically, <laughs> uh, I believe uh, Mish and I met at a pub uh, in Holland Village. So this was probably around 2016, 2017-ish. So I was uh, also in the middle of my studies and I was back for the summer and I was with uh, two to three of our mutual friends. And uh, I, I believe you came to the pub after a band rehearsal or something like that. I have no recollection. <laughs> and, and it was really obvious because then the next encounter I had with you was in Amsterdam. That was like the first rehearsal of Daniel's uh, recital. And then I saw you and I waved to you. And then you gave me one of those like, oh no, I don't know who is that. So I just awkwardly waved back, kind of wave, And like... Yeah, oh, there, there wasn't even like a front of you like trying to pretend like you know me and then like secretly sneak out and ask Daniel, hey, who is that euphonium player? You know, it was just like, I don't know you. Why are you being so weird? That I'm like, sorry. I was like, don't worry, Vincent. It happens quite, quite a lot. <laughs> I mean, when, when you reach a, a certain I'm age, so you just sorry. don't remember things as well, right? I guess. So. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, and then, of course, uh, I mean, our meetings prior to you moving back to Singapore was just like really, really sparse. So it was like that uh, night at a pub um, at Holland Village, and then it was at Amsterdam, and then the next thing was you relocating back to Singapore already, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's about right. Yeah, fantastic. I think, yeah, it's good that we are all working together now. Hopefully, the, the friendship can uh, carry on for a long time and we wouldn't stop speaking to each other because of some reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so today, I think what I want to discuss is um, all your musical journeys and your career developments, how we originated uh, or started um, the uh, call. Right, so let's start with the, the musical journey and the career development. Daniel, uh, would you like to yes. just kind of share with us first how do your career developed over the years? Because I believe you are the the one that did the most things, right? Out of the four of us. Yeah, since I'm also the oldest, just to let the listeners know. <laughs> yeah, so that Michelina doesn't feel worse about herself. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I'm actually the youngest. Just getting it out there. So uh, let's go with how you initially got in touch with music, what kind of decisions you made and how it developed. Okay. Um, so I started music when I joined the secondary school band. Yeah, when I was set one. And interestingly, I was actually a tuba player yeah. for, my, for the whole of my secondary school band life. Yeah, and midway through set two, I saw that, oh, Yamaha was having a sale. And I saw that a plastic clarinet was like 500 bucks. So I was like, okay. Let's buy it and dabble on it and see what happens. So, sort of, that's how I started the clarinet as well. And then 
in my secondary school, I was also learning Dizi in the community center. Wow. Okay. That's and interesting. In one of the yeah, in one of the like PA events, I actually saw a band that was playing there as well. So I was in the Chinese orchestra, and there was a band playing on stage. So after they've performed, I went to ask like, oh, like what band is this, and where do you guys play at? And then I found out, oh, it was Audio Image or AI. And then it was under Agent Tan. Mm-hmm. So after that, I found out that it was in Siglap and I actually live in Tampini. So it was quite close by. So I told them, oh, you know, I have a plastic clarinet and I have zero experience playing the clarinet. And they're like, yeah, you can just join us and we'll teach you whatever we can. And so it was quite a steep learning curve. They were preparing for concerts and I was a super beginner. And from then on, my interest in clarinet really got sparked on. And yeah, I was also continuing my dual life as a tuba player in secondary school. Yeah, so and, uh, sorry, sorry to yeah. say, I just kind of break you up for, for a little bit. Yeah. Did your band director at that time know that you were playing clarinet as well? Or do you just kind of keep it a secret? Yeah, it was a little bit of a secret, but it came to, because I was in also a military band, we were participating indoors and outdoor SYFs. Yeah, so it came to a point where, oh, we are taking part in the indoor competition and there were lack of players playing like auxiliary clarinets. So they were like, oh, all our girls are a little bit too small to play the bass. And then we had like excess of tuba players because we were a marching band anyway. So we were quite brass heavy. So I sort of volunteered and like just told them, oh, uh, I also can play a little bit of clarinet. Can I try the bass clarinet? And so for that few months in my band life in secondary school, I actually played the bass clarinet. Yeah, and I did the bass for my indoor year. Mm. Yeah, then after that, I went back to tuba again because my final year was a marching year. So I continued on with my tuba playing. And yeah, after that, I decided, oh, uh, I was in AI then and I wanted to maybe study music. And then NAFA was just starting the access course to the music program. Yeah, so then I joined there and I found some good friends and they're like, hey, we're playing in another youth band as well. So why don't you join us and we see how much we can hang out and blah, blah, blah. And then that was Few Youth. Yeah, so I was in Few Youth and then, yeah, my whole life as a clarinetist started. I was in NAFA and then the rebel stage came in and then I started not going to classes and then I dropped out of NAFA actually. So after NAFA, yeah, I was a little bit aimless because I thought maybe I'm not cut out to do music because my peers were doing so well having played the instruments way longer than I did. Yeah, then maybe I only played clarinet for three years. Yeah, and the rest had four or five years mm, already. Okay. Yeah. And then after that, I went to the army. And then also directionless. After a while in the combat unit, I decided mm, maybe it's time to go back to music. Because while I was in NS, I also traveled to play in Few Youth and Few Wins. Yep. Yeah, after that, then the 
sort of the musical fire started again. Yeah, and I decided, okay, let's sign on as a military musician since I was a little bit aimless anyway. Mm. And I needed to earn money and not just on my NSF pay. Okay. Yeah, and I had zero qualifications then. I only had O-levels. So why not? Yeah, so I was in SCF then as a military musician for about four and a half years. And after that, I also decided, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit stagnant in my work. So maybe it's time to be properly educated in music and take this seriously. Yeah, and I took a gap year after four and a half years in the military. I took a gap year to teach and just to save save up some money. And then I went to Amsterdam where I studied wind band conducting for six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, both my bachelor's and master's. And yeah, since then, I've been back from 2018, December. Yeah. And that's basically how my like formal musical background and training is. Nice. And and I think it covered such a, a wide uh, spectrum of work, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Correct me if I'm wrong, you also dabbled in composition for, for a little bit? Yes. So while I was in NAFA, I also had a little bit of interest in composition. So I took some compo and arrangement classes. And even when I was in Amsterdam, I also took composition classes. Mm. And while I was in the military, I was also the drill and music arranger. So I sort of had a little bit of arrangement background and composing as well. Yeah, sorry to take up so much time. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's a very wide portfolio for sure. And uh, some really some pretty interesting things that, that you uh, raised. And then I'll, I'll come back to that in yes. a little bit. Okay. So, uh, Mish, how about you? I started actually on when I was four years old. I started on the mm-hmm. piano. Not sure if any of you all know about this. Uh, and... <laughs> and I hated it. Like I was not happy with mm. these lessons. I was just going through. Yeah, the were, were you forced to go to these lessons? Sort of, yeah. Yeah. So the piano teacher came to my house, and she she was just like so insistent on things, and I was so shy when I was younger, so I didn't want to sing. And she was just like, ah, just move, like you know, just make some mm. noise. So they were very unpleasant lessons. So I stopped when I turned. 12, I think. Oh, wow. That, that's a long time, yeah. huh? That's eight years. I know. Yeah. And yeah. regular lessons or do you like have like occasional kind of hiatus? Do you take like a year off or something? I think they were quite regular apart from wow. exams. Yeah. And then in secondary one, I joined the school band as well. And that's where I picked up the saxophone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the saxophone so much right from the start. I think <laughs> a lot of everyone says, you know, saxophone is a very in- easy instrument. And, you know, it helped with picking up the instrument and having, like, the music knowledge knowledge from playing piano. It was quite easy for me to get better than my peers at playing the saxophone. So I was improving a lot from the start, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I knew I wanted to study music after the end of secondary school. So I, like, you know, I went to the LaSalle page and I filled in the whole application form until, until I reached the submit button. And I asked my mom, Mom, can I go to music school next year? Yeah. <laughs> Guess what she said. So I, I went to JC. My scores mm-hmm. were good enough. And I was very upset in JC 
was like a huge rebel, going to school like twice a week, uh, you know, crying all the wow. time, just being not handing in homework. So my parents knew, like you know, like she's not gonna like you know go through this academic line. They wanted me to be become an accountant actually. I see. Okay. So after JC, I took a year off, earned some money, saved some money, worked in the music scene a bit, did auditions, and then I went to Melbourne to study, and then. I took another year off after I finished my bachelor because I was quite broke, saving for France. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So in that year, I was teaching a lot, uh, working as a photographer, you know, whatever odd jobs I could find. Mm-hmm. And then I went to France and then to Amsterdam. And I just came back in August, the August of last year. Yeah. So a question to you, of course, uh, I've heard the the story of your LaSalle application before. Uh, why didn't you click submit first before you ask your mum? <laughs> uh, I think I'm a mama's girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but look, I, I think there's a lot of silver lining in this uh, sort of events, right? Things happen for a reason and I think things worked out for you really well anyway. Although you, yeah, you took a, yeah. a slightly longer route uh, as compared to uh, what you would like at that point of time anyway. I think shorter, you know, actually. Because I had my A-levels, I could go straight into university instead of doing a diploma. Yeah. Good. Uh, now, Don, tell us about your life. Okay, well, uh, I mean, since since uh, Michelina started with all the child stuff, I shall start there mm-hmm. as well. Um, I mean, I don't really remember, but I think when I was five six years old my parents signed me up for this yamaha like junior music course where i had to play the keyboard and that's how i actually i really kind of started learning music but uh i completed the, the the very first part the the junior music course but then i i didn't i didn't continue after that so uh i mean i was i was i was really young right i was like barely even into primary school yet and i was like i mean you know like I, I would rather watch cartoons on Saturday mornings than go for like keyboard yeah, lessons. For sure. I understand. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, I mean, I, after that, I didn't really learn any more music actually. And I went on to primary school. Uh, I remember I really wanted to join the band in primary school. Uh, and then at that time, I think they didn't have a band. They had an ensemble. They were just made up of like recorders and all and a lot of other different instruments. I couldn't really remember what they had at that time, but uh, I had a cousin who was in it, and I was. It sounded really fun. I wanted to join, but I don't really can't really remember why I didn't join. But I joined choir instead. Oh, yeah. So I was I was in choir for about two years, and then yeah, I mean I I really joined a lot of things when I was in primary school. I was like in and out. I was like at one point I had get like three CCAs or something. Yeah. So uh yeah, but I was I never really stuck with any of them. I think choir was the longest one I had, and and then uh then I went on to secondary school. Um, the secondary school that I I went to, they 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 kind of shifted. So at uh one point they did not have any intake. Ah, uh, right. So when I went in, it was like rather new. Um, and then uh, so they did not have a band, and they were just starting to set up one. I remember my sec one times like it was just mostly doing foot drills because there was no instruments. Ah, okay. Right, like like I had to wait like for a year. I mean, I think only towards the end of my sec one, then like 
the instruments came. So yeah, that's how I started playing the trombone. And actually, I wanted to play the flute, but I remember I think the the <laughs> the conductors was the the conductor was saying, um, you're quite a big guy, so um, we yeah we 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 don't really want like to have a big guy playing a flute uh, in the front row. So like, uh, why not you play the tuba? And I was like, no, I don't want to play the look, tuba. Look, so, and then like, yeah. oh, how about so, this? <laughs> can you just imagine? the amount of backlash if a band director says that to a student now. <laughs> Can you just imagine if they go up to a student and say that, ah, oh, you look slightly chubby. Maybe you like to play a big instrument. Oh, somebody's going to be out of a job soon, I think. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry to break you off there. Yeah, please continue your story. Yeah. I mean, that's basically how I started playing the trombone. So yeah, he, so he, he offered me to play the, the tuba, but I didn't want mm-hmm. to as well. And then uh, I said, okay, how about this? It's closer to the tuba, but it's like long. And because you're tall, so I'm like, okay, sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I went through secondary school. Actually, I, when I was in sec four, I di- didn't really know what I wanted to do. But I, mem- I remember I had uh, one of my, my biggest like uh, inspiration or like someone who actually kind of influenced me was uh, one of my seniors who was playing trombone as well uh who is a mutual yeah. friend of us mm-hmm. uh, Nicanor. yeah he actually went on to do nafa after he finished his studies and i actually wanted to follow him as well but uh, i think my parents were like no uh. they should not say no and i and then i didn't know what to do i wanted to go to jc i scored slightly enough to get to junior college but my parents were like no you can't study as well poly oh. <laughs> poly it okay. is right yeah, so uh, I went to poly, I joined the band, and then only then I realized how far behind I was because like my, my band was, in, in secondary school, was it just started. Mm-hmm. So there was no, like, no proper training in a way. There was no, there were no, no, no seniors, there was no culture, there were, there wasn't a lot to, to, to learn from, I guess. And so when I went to SP, I joined the band and I was like really behind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I I was I, I I still enjoyed playing, but I always felt really bad. I felt rather inferior. But so I always I always went early to practice a little bit more. And and also th- that was around the time that you started having lessons, right? No, actually no. Uh, so when I when I started practicing more, I think some of my seniors took notice and actually one of the my seniors are uh, she, she, I think she was really in the youth orchestra, the SNYO, ah, okay. Singapore National Youth Orchestra. And she she was like, uh, hey, you look like you're practicing a lot and you're really interested. Why don't you uh, sign up for this mm. orchestra, youth orchestra program, you know, and you get free lessons. And I was like, what? You can actually have <laughs> lessons for the trombone? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, this is with, like, one of my good friends studying in Dafa, right? I mean, I had no clue at all that he was having like individual trombone lessons I thought we were just like having music lessons mm. and yeah just general music yeah I mean I mean I, I completely had no clue mm-hmm. right and then so I, I I did I did sign up for the audition and by some fluke I managed to get in to the orchestra and that's how I actually started having lessons with Freddie I see and we, which is where I met you right Vincent yeah yeah for, definitely definitely yeah so that there that, that it started that's where I really started to be interested and then the more i practiced the better i got and actually i realized like you know i thought this maybe i could use do this as 
a career, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I went to I went to do my national service. I got into the band, and then I was practicing to get into Yongsuto for my bachelor's, and which I did, and that's how I got my bachelor's. Then after my bachelor's, I went on to do my master's in Rotterdam. And then after my master's, I did like a one-year artist certificate program in The Hague. Right, which is also in the Netherlands, right? Yeah. So uh, speaking of Rotterdam, I almost forgot to mention this. So uh, in, in my first trip to the, to the Netherlands, uh, there was a bulk of Singaporeans just uh, coming to Netherlands to play for Daniel's uh, recital. So at some point where more people were coming, I had to vacate his home. And I lived with Don for about maybe two to three days in Rotterdam. And man, I am not able to forget the bacon waffle. <laughs> it is like the best thing ever. For those of you who don't know, waffles are the, the traditional like uh, Dutch kind of dessert or pastry kind of thing. Two pieces of waffle. Um, thin pieces of waffle in between uh, sandwich between is like this sort of caramel and butterscotch kind of thing and then you put like bacon inside so it's like sweet and savory if you've not tried sweet and savory combination try it I think it's delicious if you tried it and you don't like it I don't really trust you um, so yeah if you're <laughs> one of those person then we have to kind of reevaluate our entire friendship or relationship or whatever it is what I find interesting as well is, of course, all four of us, we spend extensive amount of time abroad. And before uh, we go a little bit deeper to the experience of uh, living abroad and studying abroad, I want to talk about the concept of gap years. So I always find it really difficult to have a gap year and then go and study. So obviously for both uh, Daniel and uh, Michelina, uh, it worked. Um, was it difficult to tell yourself that right now, it is time to go and I can't stay here and continue to work anymore. Yes, I think it's really, really... I think the gap year is one of the most important decisions you have to take because in that gap year, you're actually earning quite a substantial amount of money and to decide to give this all up to pursue your study and have zero finances... I think that was one of the biggest decisions I had to take at least. Yeah, because I was working for already five, six years and I had quite a substantial income and to just give this all up, to pursue something which might not succeed because knowing my past, I've been able to drop out in a lot of the things that I've done. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I was taking quite a huge risk. Yeah, and yeah, but it was the best decision in my life. Mm. And now I'm back and hoping to contribute as much as I can. Yeah. And and it's it's not just the idea of you all of a sudden going from, you know, earning this amount of money to not earning. It's more like you're going from earning this amount of money to your income then becomes a negative something because every month yeah. you are spending, right? Because you're living abroad yes. and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I, I really admire the people who sticks through to their word of a gap year that I am, yeah. like, they go in with a plan and say that I'm going to take a gap year and then next year I'm going to do this. And then yeah. they take uh, the steps towards making it happen. And actually because... I was already 26 when I started my first year of bachelor's 
and I was at least eight years older than my peers in school. Mm. So it was also a lot of, I guess, invisible pressure for myself. Yeah. Because some of my peers already finished their master's in their own countries mm. and they will be restarting their bachelor's because they wanted to study with a particular teacher. Yeah, so I was miles away from them and I had a lot to catch up being an older student in school. Yeah. Fair point. Yeah. Uh, Michelina? Yeah. For, uh, f- for me, the, the way I see it for you is that you seem pretty determined, right? So you, you have a plan and then you just kind of work your way to make sure that you achieve the sort of end goal that you set yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think some like along the lines as well. So like I really, I knew I wanted to study in Amsterdam, but then, you know, I had a lesson with, with uh, Arno. And he said, like, you're not ready to come and study with me. So go and study with someone else in the meantime. So, yeah, basically I had to, you know, find, like, someone else, which turned out to be the best someone else that I could possibly study with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had, the auditions were in August, I think, or in July. So I had I had to take at least half a year off. But then I signed a contract for a whole year. So I started the course late. So that was the gap year. And, and this is for Amsterdam or... So this was to Bordeaux in France, yeah. So was it difficult for you juggling, working? And then obviously you have to practice, you have to improve yourself, you have to prepare for auditions. I think like I tried to organize my life such that like I still do a lot of concerts. So I'm, you know, keeping in touch with the playing and playing with others as well. So it's not so, you know, gruesome to just be practicing alone for so long. But then, you know, I, I left to France and uh, I had like, one and a half weeks before I started school, those one the one and a half weeks I fell sick, and like you know studying at the school from like nothing and my chops were not there at all. The first thing my teacher said was to you know start a low B, okay, from nothing from niente, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> so yeah, you know the 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 preparation that I have been doing for the year, you know it it came to nothing because I was sick the week and a half before. Ah, uh, I see. So you know. If you, I think it's all about the mindset mm. rather than, yeah, having like a whole year to prepare. You know what I mean? Yeah, because it's, I think you, you take a gap year, it's just kind of so easy to kind of relax and be like, yeah, it's okay, I'll do it tomorrow and then tomorrow and then tomorrow. And then before you know it, it's like, where has all the time gone? And then you get stuck in this kind of like um, <laughs> cycle. <laughs> Not so different from yeah. right now, no? <laughs> well, this one, we don't have a choice, right? So for me, I find gap years to be so difficult, right? I think it's, yeah, restarting and uprooting yourself. I, it's strange for me because a gap year now seems like a very big decision. But if I were to think of myself when I was living for Manchester, no reservations at all. And that was when I was like 24, when I left for my studies. Absolutely no reservations, I just wanted to go. So, yeah, maybe it's true when what they say when you become old, you become a little bit kind of less adventurous and you try try to stick to a routine, right? So, <laughs> yes. of course, then when, when it comes to gap year, uh, Dawn, you, I believe you don't have such an experience, right? So you finish uh, uh, at, the, at YST and then you went to Rotterdam kind of the following summer, or uh, fall, actually. Yes. Uh, so for me, I mean, I was fortunate enough to actually kind of 
have opportunities to carry on. But actually, um, I mean, for me, I don't think a, I always don't really feel like a gap year would work for me. Mm-hmm. From from uh yeah, so, like I actually there was uh, like even with my entrance at YST it wasn't so smooth. At one point, they were not gonna take me in. Right. And then I was like, yeah, contemplating like. Should I audition again? What should I do? And then actually, in the end, I decided to actually uh, do a year at NAFA and then maybe audition again or maybe just continue studying at NAFA uh, just so that I'm doing something, right? So, uh, but in the end, uh, in the end, they, they gave me an offer to study at YC, to start at YC on, in that, that, that same year. So, yeah, I mean, it worked out for me that I didn't have to take a, a gap year. But I mean, if, for me, even with a if I had to take the gap year, I I feel like I kind of need some kind of structure to really kind of make full use of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me as well, if you threw me, say, for example, after my national service and you give me a gap year, wow, I don't know what I'll be doing. So something for people to consider if you are thinking of pursuing music or the next step in your education, whether a gap year suits you or not. So we have both points of view from, from people who have succeeded with taking a gap year. We've also got people who don't think that gap year is a thing, right? So yeah, maybe you can just kind of work out what suits you the best. Yeah, sorry. Could I just chime in? I also think that having a gap year could make you decide whether you want to pursue music or not. Because in the end, it's a path that is so tough. And difficult even after graduating and working yeah it's not a path for everybody yeah if you could take some time to decide to really want to go down this path i think it's also really important yeah not to be too brash in your decision making just because you like music doesn't mean you're actually good at it and even if you're not good at it doesn't mean you cannot be good at it in the end you know it's all up to you yeah really really good point so I second that yeah yeah lots of thought uh, lots of consideration right when we make important decisions in our lives so the next thing uh, is about studying abroad I would say if you had a chance to spend some time overseas studying and living in a country uh, you're quite fortunate and all four of us just so happen to be extremely fortunate to be able to spend for me four years uh, Don three mesh different countries all together. What seven? Seven, yeah. And Daniel six years. Uh, in the Netherlands. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, your experience studying overseas and living overseas. I think these are two different things. And did it live up to your expectation? Yes, it did. It was such an incredible period in my life. I would easily say it was the best six years of my life so far and and of course you're saying this like on both fronts in terms of like the the studying part and also the living part yeah i think the studying part was very rewarding because well as a foreign student you had a lot to prove to the locals or even to your fellow foreign classmates you know and yeah, everyone was on such a high level. So you're always continuously pushing yourselves yeah, over your limits, you know, sometimes even breaking down just for your growth. I think that's, that's very important. And being a foreign student with no, basically no friends at all to begin with, 
you have to really build your really strong character. And I think that's something that we really lack, at least in Singapore, because we're so sheltered. Mm. Yeah, like my Dutch friends, when they told us this story about being kicked out of their homes when they are 18 because their parents just say, you know, it's time for you to leave the house and create your own future. Yeah, so a lot of the Dutch students actually move out from their parents at 18. Yeah, and they yeah, they get their blessings from their parents, you know, even if they don't want to. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, they have to move out of the house. Yeah. And I think that's for me as a 26-year-old, like restarting a life from zero in a foreign land, I think it was a big test to my character as well. Mm. Yeah, because I was living with peers, like I said, uh eight years younger than me. Yeah, so if they could, if I could do it, you know, I have to show it to them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the life quality was really, really different than in Singapore because Singapore is so high, fast-paced, yeah, and high pressure to always achieve something. Yeah, of course, it was the same in Europe, but it is at your own individual pace. Yeah. Eventually, the outcome is the same, but how long you take is all up to you. Yeah, which is very different. Yeah. Mm, there, there's a bit more balance be- between work and leisure, I guess you can you can say that. Don, how was your uh, experience overseas? I mean, whatever, I completely agree with what, whatever Daniel said. I mean, actually for me, I, I mean, I'm not so, not as posi- positive as uh, Daniel and Michelina in terms of like really saying like, uh, I had a really great experience. I mean, I did have a great experience, but my first year, I really struggled. I really, really struggled my first year. I, I mean, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with my teachers. I wasn't happy with myself. I wasn't happy in my class. You know, I like, I couldn't, I, I didn't, I didn't really have friends. I mean, there were, there were, ex, I think there were completely no Singaporeans in um, Rotterdam. Rotterdam at the time. Yeah. And, and it was, it was a little bit hard because like, just like next door in the Hague, there were so many Singaporeans. I mean, my girlfriend was there. Yeah. And, and then in Amsterdam, there's like Daniel and, and like, yeah, there's also another group of Singaporeans. And then in Rotterdam, there was like zero. So it was really hard. Uh, yeah, and and also at the point where I entered the class, the, the trombone class in Rotterdam, it was it was, it was was a class that most of them were, were already in the class for quite a few years. So they really had their dynamic, you know. So like I was kind of new and... I also felt really bad because like I could feel like some of the bachelor students were playing better than I I was at the time and like uh yeah so I was really struggling or trying to to really you know make good use of the money and the effort spent to to get there yeah so uh I mean like yeah they just said like it was uh there were a lot of like um time that like I was like breaking down like after really bad lessons and stuff but I think in the end it really helped me to grow you know that 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 frustration actually taught me more about myself and more about my goals than anything else and looking back I mean I would I would I would I wouldn't yeah I mean it has been a, a really good part of my my experience actually my life and I mean I've known you like I said for for so many years and I think one of the, the biggest transformation that I've seen is upon your return from uh, The Hague when you finish your is it artist diploma. Yeah. Yeah. 
do you feel that that was like a turning point in your career development? I mean, for, for sure. Because like I, I said, so like my first year in my master's program uh, was a struggle. So I kind of wrote it off a little bit. Like, so like actually like second year master's was like where, where things really started to, to pick up for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And then uh, so in, in, in a sense, I, I was like towards the end of my second year of master's. And I was like, I felt like my journey had only like kind of begun, like my learning journey overseas. Yeah. So, which is what made me want to do an extra year. Just, but I mean, I always kind of knew I wanted to be back in Singapore, working in Singapore. And also actually studying overseas really changed my perspective as to what I wanted. Before I actually went overseas, I always wanted to be an orchestra musician. And actually studying in Holland, my teachers were really, really open and really always trying to give me the idea that there's so many other things I can do with music and not just, I mean, even with playing, you don't really have to just play in an orchestra. And it's from there where I really wanted to do something different. And that's actually where, where I really decided I want, really should come back to Singapore. Maybe it's also because I, I missed home, but, but yeah. And I think, you know what, what you say is so true. Um, we really need one year. The first year is usually the year that we settle into the new country. So if you're planning to do uh, a master's uh, degree somewhere else, I would say try to not do the one-year course. It might be the more kind of cost-effective way, but before you know it, your time's over. It's less than a year, isn't it? If, if you think about it technically, it's like what, eight months? Or nine months if you add in all the vacation and stuff like that. I had three of those one years. Wow, it, you know, like the first year to get used to a country. I had three of those, and the first year is really the worst. Your favorite? You know, getting to know people, getting to you know, like even opening a bank account, that was extremely frustrating in French. Wow, you cannot imagine. Your favorite? I think my favorite city for practicing is Australia. My favorite city for living is Amsterdam. Favorite city for eating is Bordeaux. <laughs> Not Singapore? Uh, Bordeaux. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the <Yeah>. cheap wines. <laughs> oh, the cheese, the wines. I mean, pretty much you, you turn on the tap in Bordeaux is wine, isn't it? <laughs> I brush my teeth with wine. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, living overseas has been so important in my development as well, you know, and I would highly recommend uh, if you have the opportunity to live overseas and study overseas for a few years, go for it. Yes. And yeah, so so it's not just good for your musical and career developments, so good for your own personal development as well. Get mm. to know yourself a little bit better. Uh, get out of the shelter. You know, you don't want to reach the day whereby you have no clean clothes at all. <laughs> uh, that, uh, <laughs> that, that becomes a problem, right? So yeah. um, if you learn to take care of yourself, uh, your well-being and all that kind of important stuff, right? That we should all get used to. And I want to latch on to the point where, uh, with what uh, Don had said. So uh, me, coming from a point of view as a euphonium player, right? 
I, I think I have this sort of, um, you can call it an advantage or a disadvantage that this idea of uh, getting an orchestral job was never really um, in my plans at all. So in a way, if that's the case, then you have to try to think outside the box and you know innovate. And uh, I have ideas, but I have nobody to kind of bounce off them. And I'm really, really glad that uh, there's the three of you now and we are forming this group together. Uh, I think Co has been uh, one of the most interesting things that I've uh, done in, in recent years. Aww. Uh, or since I started <laughs> playing the euphonium, to be honest. So uh, I want to talk about, firstly, the name of the group, right? So uh, because, to, <laughs> to be honest, I am not really inside the conversation so it's like Christmas morning, right? So um, what happened was uh, Daniel had uh, flew from Singapore to uh, Netherlands. I think it was to uh, see Dawn's recital or were you just back for holiday? No, no, no. I was actually in Helsinki. No, no, no. And I was... Oh, you're no? back in Singapore already. I was back yes. in Singapore. Oh, right. Okay. Then I, I guess I was going for either Dawn's or Michelina's final recital. Yeah. So so we had like, th- there was already this idea of the, the four of us uh, doing this uh, or starting this new group together. But uh, there, there's been plans of the, the first show and all that kind of stuff, but there was like no names, right? Yeah. All of a sudden I woke up and like added into this Facebook group with a new name. And literally, the, the profile picture, which I believe is still the picture now, is a Chinese character <laughs> of the word Ko. I'm like, okay, I guess this is our name now. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I think it's cool. Absolutely no problem with that. Rolls off the tongue easy. Uh, and, you know, something refreshing and something different. I just want to clarify, I think a lot of people have this confusion, right? Because, for example, like our Instagram handle is Ko Music. Our email is like Ko Music. Then some some people think we are co ensemble. Yeah. So, uh, shall shall we set it straight and tell everybody what's our name? It's just co co. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, uh, uh, a little bit of explanation regarding like, oh, then how come you use co music, uh, for your Instagram and your co music for your Facebook and all that kind of stuff? It's very simple because K O U was already taken. <laughs> Yes, right? long story so, short. Yeah, so if you are wondering what is our name, so let's settle this once and for all. We're just cool. No ensemble, no music, no uh, nothing at the back. And then the next thing, I think what I find unique about this group, okay, is obviously the concept behind forming the group as well as then our working culture and relationship between each other. So... Um, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, right? So the concept of Co is to really just trying to de- um, deliver uh, refreshing, new, interactive, uh, immersive, whatever kind of adjective you want to put in front of it, kind of experience to the audience. So we, we kind of want to uh, elevate the average concert-going experience. That is why we started this group. Yes. From the looks of it, it might seem like we are specializing in contemporary music, but we are not also a contemporary music ensemble, right? Yes. Yeah. We are advocates and champions of new music, but we are not primarily doing 
new music. Yeah. Yeah, and s- speaking of that, uh, it's, it's such a shame because of this whole COVID thing, we had to call off our collaboration with the uh, Singapore Composer Society, yeah. right? I was kind of really looking forward to it. You know, some new commissions for, yeah. for the group. And uh, unfortunately, the, the the project is now, I think, postponed to a later time. Yes. So, yeah. So any composers out there who want to write for this um, rather uh, interesting group of uh, instruments, please <laughs> feel free to do so. Can please, I, yeah, please sorry, do. Can I just chime, chime in a bit? Yeah, I mean, just also because of, of how we are set up. I mean, we have like, like with all the auxiliary clarinets, all the SATV saxophones. I mean, like personally, I play the alto and the tenor trombones. And you play like the euphonium and uh, bass trumpet as well. So there's actually like, like a lot of many different like possibilities as well to to actually kind of try out just within our group yeah alone i don't think we've tried all the possibilities yet mm. yeah not to mention what yeah someone else might come up with for sure and if you want to talk about mute colors removing tuning slides whatever i'm playing with two saxophones in one mouth with one mouth why not <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, anything goes for us. Uh, we, we might hurt ourselves, but we'll do it for you. Now let's talk about our culture and the working relationship in the group. So I think um, there are many ways of running a group. For us, it's extremely kind of uh, democratic. Yes, for sure. Each of our opinions and our ideas are valued. So we are constantly developing ideas. So I think to a certain extent, we might also, we might have an idea and we can develop it quite far and we might end up not doing it if we think that uh, actually it doesn't sound very good. Yeah. And I personally haven't been in many groups that runs like that. What do y'all think about this model of working? And have you all had a lot of experience working like that where the musicians all have like a very, like an equal say in what you perform and what you play? I think it really works for us where, like, you know, we're really bouncing off ideas of each other. And then, you know, we have our meetings, like, at, you know, fun places like bars and, like, nice restaurants. You know, it, it creates good conversation. And then, like, you know, ideas come out through that. Yeah. But I think it's also important that we have our differences as well. Yeah. It's not just common similarities. Yeah, because that could actually be very one-dimensional. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think of the four of us, we all have pretty different ideas. And sometimes we just, oh, like, that was unexpected. Yeah, and it's not something that, that I would have thought of or something. Like, there's no leader, like, there's no one leader in our ensemble, which a lot of people think is quite a strange setup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think it, it works for our dynamics because we are so different and yet the same in a way. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this saying, right? So if you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go together. Yeah. Yeah. So I think definitely, I, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, when we, uh, that there's a lot of ideas floating around when we talk about um, uh, uh, p- potentially doing a show. I think that's usually the, the most fun part of um, the, the process of creating a show. Um, but also, I wouldn't say that our process is super quick. Yeah. Because instead of like one person saying that, look, we're going to do this, 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 and this, that's it. And then the rest of us just sort of like say yes or no. Yeah. yeah. 
And even 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 throughout even during the performance, right? How many times have we like changed things like right before the performance? <laughs> I mean, it's it's it just keeps evolving. I I think it's like, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just the 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 couple of concerts that we have really done, like the amount of changes that we have done with the props, with the positioning and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and just being flexible and to adapt. I think that's very important in our at least current workscape. Yeah. yeah. I think that's very important. Definitely. And I think with this way of working, it also, you know, it lets us be creative in our own ways. Like we have different mm. ways of, you know, ch- channeling that creativity. So, you know, it comes together. Yeah, and essentially it's just the four of us. So, I mean, if one person doesn't agree, it's already 25%. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite a big portion of decision making if you have to think about it like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and I think it's also the the kind of mutual respect we have for each other, isn't it? It's it's just like, yes, although this person might not agree, and that's twenty five percent. But yeah. The seventy five percent says yes. Doesn't mean that uh your your opinion is kinda Yeah. You're voted unimportant. out because of the majority. Yeah. It is the process of kind of convincing that one person how yeah. actually this is a good idea or why we should do that or why we shouldn't go the other way. Mm. This is something that I really enjoy. There's the dynamic of the group. And um yeah, the, when we work together, it's easy. Uh we can be honest, uh, we can be direct, and we get things done. Absolutely. The mo- most important thing. So, very simple. Our name is called Cole. And if you want to write something for us, please go ahead. Just yeah. get in touch. Any one of us. I right? think you should also let people know what Cole is. Because I don't think ah. some of the audience don't know. Of yeah. course. So, yeah. Basically, Cole is a translation of uh, the mouth in Mandarin. So, why we pick this word, um, basically... Um, it's a medium of expression. Instead of speaking, we play and we kind of show our thoughts through the music rather than uh, speaking about it. Of course, we can speak about it like now if we want to, but we chose to play, right? So any other groups and organizations that you guys are involved in that you want to talk about apart from Co? And what are the other kind of work that you do when you're not playing your instrument? For me, I'm mostly teaching school bands as either a conductor or a woodwind specialist. Yeah, I think that's because I'm after all a trained windband conductor. So I cannot forsake that training and just put it to waste. Yeah, and I'm using that to my fullest capacity. Um, yeah, I conduct on project basis with like the clarinet club. And I'm also just appointed the assistant conductor of the Singapore Wind Symphony. Nice. And unfortunately, we've not had any rehearsals because of the current situation. Yeah, but I'm really seriously looking forward to working with the Singapore Wind Symphony. And on occasion, I would also like do some conducting with the Philharmonic Winds yeah, as well. And of course, uh, at the uh, Singapore Wind Symphony, you are teaming up with, uh, with Joost. Joost Flach, yeah. Joost Flach, yeah. So uh, another Dutch 
yes. uh, Oboist that has lived in uh, Southeast Asia for a really long time. So it should be a good team. I yeah. think you guys can converse in secret about the musicians. Yes, we always do. In, in <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, SWS musicians, yeah, just keep an keep a year out and maybe record that and translate it or something like that. How about uh, Mish? I am also playing in a saxophone quartet, since saxophone quartet. Uh, mm-hmm. We do this on a yearly basis when everyone comes back from their studies. So we've been actually playing together for quite some time, but just once a year. Other than that, I have a duo with a dancer called Duo Plasticity. Uh, I think this has really evolved through the years. We started in 2015. So this is our sixth year, fifth year. So... So this is like post-Melbourne. It started. Exactly, yeah. Okay. The year I came back from Melbourne, yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah. For, for you, um, I think in terms of um, a performance front, uh, you are the busiest out of the, the four of us, I think. And do you try to have a different kind of concept for each of the projects that you take up? Or is it kind of like... Sure, if they are my friends, I'll just play. Or do you try to, you know, try to differentiate what you want to achieve with each of the uh, different uh, groups? Uh, I think it, it depends on, like, what the project is at the moment. So, like, with Sin Sexo Quartet, it's, you know, the Singapore Sex One Symposium, and that's it. And then with, uh, with uh, Val, with uh, the dancer... It's a uh, more project basis, so we create new shows once we get like a, a grant or something. Yeah, so like our upcoming one is uh, actually talking about death. Oh, we're gonna okay. be making a show based on like the death cafe kind of concept. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Any sort of like dates for this uh, project? Still underway. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. All the, yeah. yeah. COVID. Keep us posted. I'm sure we'll see something uh, on social media when um, things are being put together. Right. So uh, I guess a- apart from, from playing, you do your fair bit of uh, teaching as well? Yep. That's right. Good. And then uh, Don? Um, I mean, I... I am teaching a little bit. Uh, I mean, most of my my work is teaching, um, teaching trombone mostly. Um, section tutors, a uh, brass tutor, and also I've uh, recently taken up um, uh, teaching the junior band of a secondary school, mm-hmm. which is what I'm actually really completely new at. So that's a little bit exciting for me. Yeah, yeah. L- learning the, the the fingering for uh what F sharp on a clarinet. <laughs> yeah, it can be a little bit challenging. Do, do you have like bassoon students uh, for your second one? Yes, I do. Okay. How how yeah. is that coming along? Uh really tough. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I the double reads for me it's it's particularly difficult. Also mm. because I mean with the single reads, um there is information freely available, right? I can just ask like Daniel yeah. or Mish. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Anytime. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my teaching 
side. Other mm-hmm. than that, um, playing wise, I don't think there's a group that I am actively playing in. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually, um, I get asked for project basis for yeah. different groups like Orchestra of the Music Makers, Musicians Initiative. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. And so, a uh, question for for all of you: uh, What is your, if you can sum up your idea of teaching? What would it be? So, um, for me, that would be um, empowering the students, right? So, um, basically bouncing the ball to their court and make them take charge of their own learning and basically teaching them how to fish rather than turning up and giving them the fish. So, getting them to think about certain things, uh, think about, uh, why they are doing things, uh, certain things this way, why do they play that way, and how they can become better, and all that kind of stuff. Any interesting ideas from the rest of you? For me, I try to, you know, use a combination of all my experiences from different cities, and like, you know, come mm-hmm. up with the best, like, concept or way of, you know, describing a certain element of playing. So, you know, it helps them to get this without having to go through the three schools. Yeah, for me, um, I think uh, I very much agree with what uh you said, Vincent, about the empowering the students and making them like putting the ball in their court and stuff. Uh, I think for me, what what I really like to focus on is their awareness of things, because sometimes, like you said, you can you can teach them how to fish, but sometimes I feel like sometimes the students are not aware that they need to learn how to fish. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I, I, I like to kind of work with making the students a little bit more aware. And sometimes there's a lot of like just asking them a lot of seemingly pointless questions, I think. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's just to kind of make it logical for them, right? And that they if they actually think about it, it's actually extremely logical, the approach to yeah. playing and problem solving. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's also really important that apart from learning to fish, you also have to enjoy fishing. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's, it's a very vague and ambiguous concept, but if you think about it, if you don't enjoy it, why are you, why are you still doing it? Yeah, why force yourself to do it? So it's very important that the students also absolutely enjoy themselves in the process of learning. Yeah, no matter how... Mm treacherous and torturous the journey might be yeah eventually i think they would always look back like in their music education no matter how long or short it is back in school yeah fantastic wise words indeed from all of you so this has been a great session Uh, thank you so much for coming on to today's show Uh, any parting words from the three of you practice Yes, always. <laughs> Sound advice. And maybe do smart practice. Yeah, don't just waste too many hours practicing. Do smart practicing. And enjoy whatever you're doing. That's the most important. I think once you decide to pursue music, then you really just go for it. Don't look back, you know. Just no regrets. And just like do your best. Work hard. Be really disciplined with practice, of course, with smart practice. Yeah, 
And I think being kind to everyone, to your peers, you never know what their backstory is. Mm. Right, you know, try to be nice to people with, you know, with sincerity. Very good point. <laughs> Very good point indeed. Okay, so if you'd like to find out more regarding Cole, you can visit the website colemusic.com. That is K-O-U-M-U-S-I-K.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, I'll provide the link in the show description. And on that note, we will sign off on this episode of You Play A What. You have been listening to You Play A What, hosted by Vincent Tan. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algodas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play A What? Until next time. Thank you.